2: When your fandom is ingrained in you at such a young age, there's almost nothing you can do to walk away.
3: Death Cab for Cuties, Ben Gibbard, grew up in Bremerton, Washington, just across the Puget Sound from Seattle. As a kid, he dreamed of one day being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame with a Mariners cap on. When his beloved Mariners traded their superstar, Ichiro Suzuki, to the Yankees in 2012, Gibber put out a song he'd been working on called Ichiro's Theme. It was a fitting tribute, he thought, to one of his favorite players as he said sayonara to the Northwest. Some years later, the same season that Ichiro returned to the Mariners to wrap up his storied career, Gibbert took his dad to visit the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Somewhere in their vast collection, the hall keeps the lyrics to Ichiro's theme. So I did technically get in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Gibbard has said. When the M's held their belated opening day during the COVID-shortened 2020 season, Gibbard taped a kickoff performance from home plate in an otherwise empty T-Mobile park. He played a cover of John Fogarty's pastime perennial, Center Field. In place of the line where Fogarty mentions Ty Cobb and Joe DiMaggio, Gibbard inserted some of the Mariners' own legends. Edgar Martinez and the kid, Ken Griffey Jr., and of course, Ichiro Suzuki, were pretty sure he had his glove with him, just in case. I'm Lechina Robinson. Those sweet, funky sounds you hear are the Budos band. And this is Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. Now, please welcome Ben Gibbard, Seattle Mariners' huge fan. All right, Ben. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Huge Fan. It's great to have you with us today. We'll just start out with... What's your earliest memory as a Seattle Mariners fan?
2: Uh you know, my first memories of being a Mariners fan are really tied up with the old kingdom. Uh, we had an old uh, uh, kind of fully concrete dome here in Seattle up until I think 2000 or so. And uh, my dad would take me as a kid. I must have been seven or eight. We would hop on the back of his motorcycle and we'd drive around from Bremerton where my, my parents still live and where I was brought up around the sound and then to seattle and we would sit in these three dollar bleacher seats this is like the early 80s the teams in the 80s weren't very good but you know i had my favorite players and because they were our team and you didn't know any better as a kid you're just like oh these are my guys this is this is my team and I, i grew up loving alvin davis and mark langston and spike owen and yeah so you know when we were little kids it was so cheap to go to the ballpark we would go all the time
3: Do you remember like the first time you walked in the sights, the sounds, the environment, like take us back visually to walking into your first game as a kid and and what you remember or recognized?
2: Well, I remember it because the kingdom was such a monolithic giant building and our seats were so terrible. We would have to walk up what felt like 10 flights of stairs around these kind of around the concourse to get up to these seats. So I remember just walking for what felt like forever. And when you have eight-year-old legs, it, you know, it's like, <laughs> it, it's, it feels that much farther. I guess like walking into the kingdom, it, it didn't have the majesty of Camden Yards or a Yankee stadium or something because it was an AstroTurf field with the old, you know, it just just where the bases were, there was dirt and everything else is AstroTurf. Um, so I, I don't remember having any kind of majestic feelings about the park, but, because there was so little baseball on TV in the eighties, it wasn't like it is now where you can watch every game uh, in in every city. There was this kind of feeling of wonder as as far as just the fact that those were the guys that I had, I had their baseball cards and, you know, I'd seen them on posters and stuff like that. So that was pretty uh, kind of impactful on me.
3: Whose cards did you have? Do you remember some of the players that maybe captivated you earlier in, in your fandom?
2: Well, Alvin Davis was my favorite. Uh, he was my favorite player. Um, he was a first baseman. I was a first baseman, uh, in little league. So that, you know, if, (laughs) when you're in little league, whomever plays the position that you're at, that becomes who you want to be, you know? So, uh, Alvin Davis was my favorite player and I have this really wonderful memory of, um, going to a Mariners game with my dad. And then after the game, uh, here in the Northwest, there are uh, ferries that go across the Sound. So there's a ferry that went from Seattle to Bremerton and sometimes we would take the ferry over for the game, walk to the Kingdom, which was a half mile from the ferry terminal. And then after the game, we get back on the ferry, go home. And for some reason, which I still have not determined why, Alvin Davis was on the ferry going back to Bremerton after the game. And even looking back on that period now, I can't figure out how he got out of the park so quickly and onto the ferry, because we must have left in the eighth or ninth inning. So I don't know how he had gotten on the boat, like what the circumstances were, but regardless, he was on the boat. My dad recognized him and said, Hey, that's Alvin Davis. Why don't you go up and ask for his autograph? You know, I very nervously walked up to him and, you know, held up a piece of paper and a pen. And, you know, of course I was eight years old and he was really lovely. And, um, you know, it was, it was my first interaction with a famous person. And it also so happened to be my favorite player. So, Uh, From that point on, it was just cemented that Alvin Davis was, was my guy.
3: Wow. What a moment, right? Do you still like, do you have that framed somewhere in your, in your house? Do you still have that autograph?
2: You know, I did. And it was foolishly in a box. This is one of those just really dumb things, but it was in a box of baseball cards that had been left in my storage locker. And that storage locker got broken into about six months ago and a bunch of stuff got stolen and that was stolen. And I'm still kicking myself as to why that, what that box wasn't in my house. Like I'd have room for it in the house. You know, it was just a file box, a regular file box. And for some reason it was sitting in there and I would go to my storage locker and be like, I should probably get that out of there. That has valuable yeah. things that are valuable to me. And I didn't, and it got stolen, but you know, in kind of a nice um, silver lining and all this is that I'm friends with some people who work for the Mariners now So they were able to send Alvin Davis a baseball card. and He signed it for me again. So now at 44, (laughs) I got my second Alvin Davis autograph.
3: It comes full circle. You have a little more pull now than you did when you were a kid, right? You you can pick up the phone here and there and and maybe ask for a a favor. Now, speaking of when you were a kid, you said you played Little League. Um, How'd you end up at first base? Like, were you that kid that, you know, everyone's like, all right, we want him on our team?
2: I'm not going to lie. I made a few all-star teams. I made a few all-star teams. (laughs) At some point, my skills uh, did not kind of keep up with, you know, my growth spurts or my skills didn't quite match up with the other kids. So I kind of stopped playing baseball uh, around like junior high or so. And all the while, I'd also been a competitive swimmer. So that kind of became my main sport through high school. But um, yeah, I mean, I was okay. You know, I I was decent, but, you know, I, I wasn't on a path to collegiate to professional ranks by any stretch of the imagination.
3: Well, I know you are a self-professed competitor. And so we've got Little League, we've got swimming, but you're a trail runner, right? And how yeah. does maybe trail running and that competitive nature translate into how big of a fan you are, like your fandom? Like how does all that kind of maybe come together?
2: Well, I think if somebody has a competitive streak in them, it's not going to go away. And um, for me as a trail runner and an ultra marathoner, I'm not particularly quick, you know. So for me, racing now is more just about completing the distance and, you know, I'll, I'll do distances up to 100 miles. So at that point, it really just becomes it's just a matter of just completing the distance. And and that to me is the accomplishment. But I think as a sports fan, I think if you're a competitive person, it's very difficult to remove yourself that this really doesn't matter, you know? I mean, it matters. The, the The thing about sports that is so beautiful, but also incredibly frustrating is that it's something that matters so much to you, but in, in the grand scheme of things, it does not matter at all. And I suppose there's a metaphor for life in there as well in the futility of anything we do. As the Mariners have been in a funk for, I mean, arguably 43 years, but certainly for the last 20 years since they've made the playoffs, it's been very difficult for myself and other friends of mine who are Mariners fans, you know, on our little text threads and whatnot, you wish you could just turn it off. You know, when you're a fan of a team and they're playing poorly or they're on a, you know, historically, a historic playoff drought or something, you always wish, I wish I could just become a fan of a good team. I wish I could (laughs) flip a switch and then be, and, and not care anymore, but there's, there's nothing you can do to stop caring. It's a, when your fandom is ingrained in you at such a young age, there's almost nothing you can do to walk away. It's You are a fan for life, whether, you know, through the good times, and the bad times. And unfortunately for us Mariners fans, it's been mostly bad times. <laughs> yeah.
3: You talked about wanting to just jump teams and some people actually do that. I know you have made mention of how it's hard if you grow up with a team in that city or wherever you live, you can't just end up as a Red Sox fan but some people do, right? Like, how do you feel about people becoming fans of teams like the Red Sox or the Yankees? We call them bandwagon fans as opposed to sticking it out with their local team that may struggle.
2: Those are trash people. You can't, you can't just switch teams. You can't do that. Like, I've gone on this rant, which I will shorten and remove all the profanity from it. But really, it's just that if you're born in a place that has a team, that's your team. That's your team. You, you, you know, you don't get to grow up in Seattle and become a Red Sox fan or a Yankees fan. Like that's not your team. Your team is the Mariners. You were born into this mess, like all the rest of us. And you're just going to have to deal with it. That's what it's going to be. So, um, you know, you say that people will switch teams, but I I don't quite believe that they actually are able to do that. And I'll give you an example. I was living in LA for a couple of years. And I was, um, I decided I thought, you know, I can have a national league team and an American league team. They're in different leagues. I can become a Dodgers fan and root for them and I can root for the Mariners. And that can be, that's an okay thing to do. Right. I, I'm going to try to do this. Right. So I had gone to a, a Dodgers playoff game that had this very like dramatic and and the Dodgers won and people are like hugging each other and it's all crazy. And I, I didn't feel anything, you know, I just felt like, Oh, this is exciting. The team won, but it, it didn't have that same feeling of like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Like when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, when we're like jumping up and down and pouring in the streets and going nuts. And I realized in that moment, you know, you can follow another team, but truly becoming a fan of another team isn't something that you can just turn off and on. I mean, maybe over the course of decades, you know, I've heard talk of people who grew up Brooklyn Dodgers fans. And then, you know, after three decades of, you know, following the Red Sox, they eventually became fans of that team because they had put in the work, but I think if you're going to switch teams, if it's even possible, that requires decades of dedication and work. It's not something you can just do overnight. So I don't believe that's the thing that people can actually really do. uh, Because if it was, I would have done it a long time ago.
4: (laughs) Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem.
3: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
4: This is Game Day.
3: All right, so we are going to switch gears a little bit and talk about Game Day. And I'm going to start, you just mentioned a moment ago, your texts, your group chat. So tell me about who you're texting with on game day, who's in that chat and what are you guys saying?
2: Yeah. So I have a thread, um, that is me and three of my friends, uh, their names are Matt, Jay and Mike. And we have been friends, uh, a couple of us since high school, everybody since college, it's a safe space. It's kind of like a, uh, like a support group for Mariners fans where we can, you know, express our displeasure with ownership or the GM or the roster move that just happened or whatever. And just before I came on this podcast, I, I was like, Hey, I'm going on this podcast with the John Robinson and talking about the Mariners. You know, there was then like a long thread of like, you probably shouldn't talk about these things that we've been talking about <laughs> in public, not because they're risque or anything like that, but because I would like to be able to go to Mariners games in the future. Last <laughs> the, blast, the right, way we do right. it next thread might not it might jeopardize the welcome mat at the stadium for me. So, and I think as a Mariners fan, I think that one thing we've had to do as of late, and when I say as of late, I mean really for the past twenty years, is focus on um, individual accomplishments. It's a team sport, uh, obviously, uh, and. You know, I'm kind of paraphrasing something that the blog Lookout Landing wrote about, which uh, is a sentiment that I've felt often, but want to make sure I give them credit for this is that, you know, where the team is now and where the team has been for a lot of the past 20 years, you know, you had to focus on, oh, Felix Hernandez is pitching tonight. So um, the team may be in the drink, but uh, Felix is pitching and I got to go see that. I got I to gotta turn that on and watch that. Or, oh, Jared Kelnick just came up. I got to watch that game because he's he just came up or... You know, this might be Ichiro's last game. we got to watch that. And I think when you're a fan of a historically bad team, it becomes less about watching the team to see the team do well and more about watching the team to see individuals hopefully thrive. Uh, and that's kind of a bittersweet uh, kind of um, rationale or motivation for watching a team. But it does have its, you know, it's, it's one of the things that keeps you engaged and keeps you watching.
3: Any superstitions for you? Any routines Uh, on game day?
2: I never like to miss the first pitch. Most of my friends know that if we're going to a baseball game together, it's not like a just make your way into the stadium whenever kind of thing. I mean, at this point now, we have the tickets on our phones. You know, you're not holding four tickets waiting for the other three people to meet you in front of the park to give them to to them. So... um, that has kind of removed one of my frustrations about going to games with other people people that don't either care that much or don't understand the importance of being there for first pitch which is i wouldn't so, so much say as a superstition as much as it is a tradition i just like to be there from the beginning of the game i don't i don't like to come in in the second inning and, and what happened what's been going on for the last 30 minutes i, I want to be there from the fr- from first pitch i also have to admit that while i always try to get there for first pitch i am not above leaving a game in the sixth inning, if they're getting blown out, or yeah,
3: that was my next question. Can you leave early?
2: <laughs> I leave early all the time. My, in fact, my friends make fun of me all the time when you know if the bullpen's blown a game and it's like the seventh inning. They're like, okay, so Ben's leaving soon, right? I'm like, yeah, I am leaving. <laughs> it's 10 p.m. It's, it's the seventh inning. We had a five run lead, and now now we're down by two. So right. I don't need to stick around and see how this thing ends. I'll listen to it on the radio on the drive home. You know.
3: It sounds like to me, you want to be there when the game is competitive and it's competitive when it starts because it's zero, zero, right? So you got to be there and see how it plays out. But when it's no longer a game, you want to, you want to bounce. I'm totally okay with that. I am. I am totally there for that. Yeah. And also it's
2: baseball. There's 162 of them. You know, it's not football where you, there are eight home games a year and you have to stick the whole thing out to, I guess, get your money's worth, but also because, you know, in Seattle, Russell's quarterback, he might pull some magic and like win the game at the end. But you know, when it comes to the Mariners and it's a Wednesday night, you know, and it's not, it's, it's kind of spring. So it's still kind of chilly. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to bounce. I'm going to go home. This, this, this game isn't going to turn out (laughs) the way I want it to. I don't think. Yeah.
3: You've thrown out the first pitch for the Mariners twice. What is that experience like? Um, Take us inside game day. And were you happy with your throws? Like how'd that go?
2: The first one, I was not the second one. I think I did um, when I was living in LA, I, I actually played in an, in an adult, like fast pitch, like a, a rec league when I was living in LA and I pitched in a rec league. So I know how to throw the ball over the plate for the most part. But what's difficult is, you know, when you're throwing a first pitch, at least the way they do it at um, T-Mobile, now T-Mobile, and I'm sure it's the similar other places, you know, you're warming up in the catacombs of the park. So you're somewhere in a hallway and there's like a ball boy or ball girl and you're like just tossing the ball, warming up. And then you sit idle for 10 minutes, waiting for them to call you up to the mound. Well, now you're on a mound. You know, now you're, you're no longer thrown from the flat, you're on a mound. And to make matters even more complicated, I was never really aware of how large a, a ballpark was until I was standing on the mound. You know, when you're, <laughs> you're, you know, when you're in the stands, it's made to feel very intimate you know, due to, you know, architectural magic or something to make you feel like you're closer to the field. But when you're on the mound, you're acutely aware of how gigantic this place is. So yeah. it, you haven't thrown in 10 minutes, you're throwing from a mound, because I'm not going to throw from the grass through that and throwing from the mound. And then also you're nervous, because there's, you know, 10s of 1000s of people there. So uh, I think the first one I threw was, I kind of threw it to the backstop, yeah. uh, which I was pretty embarrassed about, but the second one, a little high and inside, got it in. And uh, yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, when I see somebody shank a first pitch, I, I have sympathy for it because I I know what they had to do to get to that point. Um, but, you know, there have been, of course, some historically bad ones. I mean, Fauci's was pretty bad. Oh. And 50 Cent, I think, still has the, I mean, <laughs> the marker of throwing the worst first pitch of all time, at least, you know, the one that was, a, that was filmed. I mean, I'm sure there might have been one in the 20s that was worse, but... Uh, I mean, the 50 cent one was pretty bad and, and Fauci, Fauci wasn't much better. So,
3: Well, first of all, Fauci's like 80, right? So we yeah. get, he has an excuse. 50 cent is like one of the buffest guys you will find in music. And so it's not about strength either. So I, I think there is something to it in terms of technique and it's not all what meets the eye. Uh, but good to, good to know that you felt good about your throw. Um, a couple of just really quick ones. Uh, who's your favorite current player?
2: I pick a player at the beginning of every season to kind of follow for this season. I mean, you know, there's the perennial players that have been on the team for a while now. There was a player that, that the Mariners received in a trade from San Diego named uh, Taylor Trammell. And I was just vibing on this guy from spring training on. He just seemed to have like, you know, just his energy seemed really good. And, you know, he was, it was looking like he was going to break camp with the team and he made the team out of spring training. So it's that fun kind of journey that you're, as a fan, you take with a player where, you know, they're brand new in the league and you're going to see him get the first hit. And you really want him to succeed, you know, Yeah. watching to get his first hit. I think he, I think he hit a home run if I'm recalling correctly. And, you know, he, you know, he kind of made his way around the bases and then on social media, he posted something like, yeah, look at me trying to be cool. Hit my first home run. Like, you know, he's inside. You're probably freaking out. So he just has, he just has this amazing energy. Uh, unfortunately he got sent down triple a, but he's raking in triple a right now. So uh, you know, the Mariners are probably only a, you know, a slump or an injury away from calling him back up. So he, he's the dude that I'm kind of rooting for this season. I'm hoping he kind of gets back with a big club and, and makes a run at it. Cause he just, he seems to, he seems to be like a good dude and uh, has cool energy. And, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for him.
3: I wanted to talk about music and I thought it was fascinating um, what you were doing during COVID in terms of starting live from home when you were live streaming concerts. Uh, where did that idea come from and why did you want to do it?
2: Uh, well, it was an idea that my manager, uh, Jordan Curlin, had brought up in the days just right around the first lockdown. And he had made a mention of, hey, why don't you do a live stream? I think, you know, people are kind of starting to do these a bit. And, um, you know, I think people would dig it if you did one. And for some reason, I, well, it's kind of in keeping with my personality. I, I didn't say like, yeah, that sounds fun. I was like, OK, cool. I'm going to do them for two weeks. I'll do one every day for two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I don't know why I overcommitted like that, but that's you know I run 100 miles, of course, like you know I it's on that. or off. Which don't is say off. that
3: anymore. I feel terrible. Like I run two miles and I feel exhausted. If you say 100 miles one more time, I'm gonna like jump out this window.
2: <laughs> Important to recognize it's not something I do every day. I do it like once a year, maybe. But um, but no. So yeah. So I just started doing these live streams. They're between 50 minutes and an hour every day, uh, and they went every day for about two weeks. And then I started doing them once a week for couple months. And I decided that every show would be a benefit for a, a charity here in Seattle, the greater Northwest, because it felt to me that we were in this very interesting place where people were feeling very altruistic, and, uh, and philanthropic, and people were freaked out. And people really wanted to help each other in, in that period. Yeah. Uh, I, I, would, I would say probably more so than they did over the course of time due to a number of factors. But I felt there was this was this key moment where we should probably fill the coffers of some nonprofits while people are in a position to do so. Every day was a show for a different uh, local charity. And uh, it was really cool to me to see how these communities kind of developed in the chat. People would be, uh, you know, in the chat, or I go into the waiting room before the show and see people talking to each other. And they'd be like, Hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. Or oh, I lost my job or I'm, I've been furloughed. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So over the course of these shows, you know, just by proxy that this community kind of developed of uh people who were you know talking with each other and you know and it was all because they were there to see the shows and that was i think the thing i was i wouldn't say i mean i guess i was the focal point of it but um that made me most heartened to see that people were in this time where everybody was incredibly isolated that uh that people were kind of communicating with each other through these shows and i i had a blast it was really fun
3: But now you're headed back out on the road, right? How do you feel about transitioning back to live shows?
2: Oh, I can't wait. I did a live stream on the anniversary of the first live stream a couple months ago. I think I said at some point that I I really don't want to do this anymore. And it wasn't that I didn't enjoy entertaining people on the computer. And as a performer and a musician, um, it's it's great to be able to play music for people in any capacity. Uh, But there's really nothing that that really even gets close to, uh, comparing with live performance.
4: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's you did it. You stumped this charming devil. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice.
0: Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy
3: this place on a cul-de-sac?
4: Welcome to Crunch Time.
3: All right, so Crunch Time to finish us up here. We're going to go to some rapid fire questions and I need quick responses. You ready? Okay, let's go. All right, most unsung mariner.
2: Most unsung mariner would be De Ho Lee. What's
3: your go to ballpark food? I'll do a burger from Little Woody's. Best jersey color: the Northwest green, navy blue, or silver. Um, I
2: actually dig the the off white Sunday jerseys that they're doing.
3: Favorite team to beat:
2: uh, the Angels all the way. Can't stand the Angels.
3: Greatest Mariner alive.
2: It have to be Ken Griffey Jr. Right? I mean, there's there's no other.
3: One word to describe your Mariners fandom: hopeless. <laughs> oh no. Ben, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Shout out to Seattle. Next time I'm in town, I'll hit you up. Maybe you can uh, recommend some spots for me when I'm covering a storm game. All
2: right, please do. I've been watching you WNBA broadcasts and. this is a real treat for me, too. So thanks okay. for it thank you.
3: You can find Huge Fan on Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other huge fans can find us. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. That'll do it for this round of Huge Fan, the podcast where stars talk sports. I'm Lechina Robinson. Until next time, keep rooting your guts out. Go Budo's Band!
4: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh,